we're now going to spend some time looking at the scriptures together. So if you have a Bible, grab that Bible, crack it open to Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some under the chairs, and we'll be on page 978 in those black Bibles. Page 978, it's Ephesians chapter 4. We believe that the scripture speaks with the authority and the relevance of Jesus. Uh, So many of us are not sure about religion. We're not sure about institutional Christianity, but often we like Jesus, right? And so if we want to hear what Jesus has to say to us, the scriptures are the best place to go uh, to hear the original recordings, the original records of who he is and uh, what he said to his people. Um, The series that we're in right now is a series called Partnership. And what we've been evaluating are key New Testament passages that describe what it looks like for local churches to work together to do God's will in a community. Uh, And so as we've been doing that, we've talked about how there's a kind of cultural shift at our church where we're actually going to offer formal partnership or formal membership here. It's not something we've done in the past. Uh, We come from a kind of tribe of Christians that are highly suspicious of institutional Christianity. Uh, And so part of that has been we've not had a formal membership where you can sign on the dotted line. We're now switching that and we're saying, okay, we want to keep being suspicious of institutional Christianity, but it is much more helpful as an organization to be able to actually have a place where we can say, these are the folks that commit to be with us. So we've got sheets of paper in the back of the room, back of the auditorium, that says partnership commitment here. Uh, so if you want to sign up to be a part of that, you can fill out these forms. We also have constitutions. This is basically like the collection of our doctrine and how we function as a church. And so as a part of this, you're signing on this form. Yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I want to be a part of Grace Bible Church. Yes, I've actually read how Grace Bible Church operates. I've read the Constitution. So you might need to put these together if you haven't read this yet. These are in the back of the room as well. Um, And what will happen is this will trigger meetings with people. Kind of at the center of this process is we want to be able to meet you and hear who you are and what it means for you to be a follower of Jesus. So at the center of it, we, we want to make partnership kind of centered around people trying to follow Jesus together. So we want to get together with you. This form, if you turn it in, will trigger a meeting with you where we'll meet. I uh, give an opportunity for you to meet with one of the leaders of the church. We're going to have a couple of Saturdays where we just have a bunch of people trying to meet together to, to uh, get through as many meetings as possible as we begin this as a new process. And then after that, it'll, uh, it'll kind of just be piecemeal. You know, whenever new folks move to town, we'll meet with them as we meet them. Uh, so we're going to be studying Ephesians 4, as I already said, and we're calling it this morning Partners in Growth. Partners in Growth. It's Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. As I think about growth, I think a lot about the plant imagery. Um, He actually uses body imagery in this text, but I want to start with some plant imagery. And one of my favorite images are these flowers that we often have at our house. It doesn't seem like all flowers do this, but you have these flowers that close up at night, and then when the sun comes out, they open up to the sun. Have any of you seen these kind of flowers? I love this. It's such a beautiful picture, right? This flower is just like, it's just growing towards the sunshine, right? Um, And there's a picture in Ephesians in which we as God's people are growing as we are eager for this God who loves us in Christ. The structure of Ephesians itself, before we look at our little text here, the structure of Ephesians itself is three chapters of God is so good to you in Jesus. And then three chapters of, so now live as if that's true, right? What would it look like if we actually lived like we believed that the God of the universe had this lavish grace that he's poured out on us? I think part of what Ephesians is going to say is it would look like us showing grace to each other, right? It would look like us showing kindness, showing love, showing service to our our fellow men and women in community. And so 
that theme's going to be picked up here, and it's going to talk about some of the mechanics of growth, like how do Christians actually grow together, and we're going to see that here in detail in chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Verses 11 through 16. Just turned the corner in chapter 4 where it said, now start living it out, and in verse 11 he says this. He says, and he, meaning Jesus, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the goal, that we would grow up in love, that we would be knit together as one body. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. The question is, are we going to reflect that? in our community. So let me pray and ask God to help us with this, and then we'll break it into sections as we try to uncover what he's saying here. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for teaching us. Uh, And we confess, Father, uh, in us this desire often to trust ourselves more than we trust you. We confess often this thought that there are secret ways that we can grow that are apart from the grace you have for us in Jesus. And So we we say that out loud and we ask for your spirit to come and meet us here and to help us to see all that you have for us in Christ and what it looks like for us to grow up, to be mature, uh, to use our body as the body of Christ to serve each other in love. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So as we think about being partners together in church growth, I want to say up front that pretty much any image you can think of as, as growth probably applies to this metaphor. Um, Many Christians think of growth as numerical growth, right? Like I've often joked that our goal here at Grace Bible Church is to grow more large and more powerful and take over the city, right? Like that is part of, that's one of our goals numerically, right? We want to be uh, more and more people together following Jesus. There's also depth though. There's spiritual growth. And a lot of you think in those terms. What does growth mean? Well, it means becoming more mature, more deeply connected to Christ, trusting him more, knowing his word more. That image is here as well. And then there's also the idea of just growing in strength, right? That we could accomplish more together, that we could help hurting people, that we could serve people that are broken. And so I think all these different kind of images you might have of church growth would apply to this text. And the first thing that we're going to see is there's this kind of famous section that a lot of evangelical churches like to talk about uh, where it establishes the leader's role in growth. Um, What is the leader's role in church growth and helping individual Christians and Christians together as the body of Christ? What's the the role of the leader? Um, And often we err on the side of thinking it's the leader's job to do the ministry, to do the growing, right? It's a great quote from Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians where he says, well, I I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth, right? Like God does the growing and there's a specific kind of mechanism he works through where he brings leaders along to the the phrase in the text is equip the saints. Have y'all heard that phrase before? Raise your hand if you've heard the phrase equip the saints. Okay, 
So you guys have all grown up in non-denominational churches that hammer this, right? Because it's a big deal for churches like ours that say, you know what, the ministry is not just something that ministers, official ministers do, but ministry is something Christians do. But the word ministry just literally means service. God calls us to be connected to Christ spiritually by faith and then to work out as his hands and feet in the world to serve the community. And so that's the responsibility of the whole church. But you can see here, it's not, it's not the extreme where it says, therefore, there are no leaders. Here he's saying there are leaders. He describes them, uh, what's often called the five-fold ministry or five-fold kind of leadership gifts here. If you look at it in verse 11, it says, He, Jesus, gave to the church apostles, uh, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Now, I just want to throw out up front that there's a couple of major ways that people interpret this. One is that there are these like five kinds of gifts and that you have to have these five gifts operating at at every local church for it to be well-rounded. I don't tend to see it that way. I don't think that's a bad way of interpreting it. Um, I'm I'm just going to say that's not really the main point, I think, even of the text. It's like, which way do these function? I tend to see it as prophets and apostles were those guys years ago, you know, that wrote this book. And then you've also got different kinds of gifts that continue to function, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. So that's how I tend to read it. Um, but I don't even know that that matters that much, how we read that part. I think the big idea is you have leaders, and the leaders are given to equip the saints. That's what the leader does, right? And so there's this cultural problem where you, you see leaders as like, the leader's job is to do all the ministry, and the leader starts to get into this position where he's like, no, 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 no. Let me handle that. I'm the professional here, right? Have you ever been around leadership like that? Or like, you can't do that. You're not qualified. I, I do that, right? I'm the professional guy here. And so this text pushes back against that. It says the church is actually going to grow better if the church sees that we're all doing the ministry. We're all, we're all doing Jesus' stuff. It's, it's not just the leaders that do the stuff, okay? So what's the leader's role? Well, the leader's role is to equip the saints, um, the, the the terms here that he uses that I want to fixate on are shepherds and teachers. The word shepherd is just another translation of the word pastor. Um, so when people call me a pastor, we're saying I'm a shepherd. Uh, that doesn't mean I actually care for sheep. Um, I don't know if I've ever even been around a live sheep before. Uh, but spiritually speaking, caring for sheep. God always talks about his people as sheep, right? And they need to be fed and they need to be cared for and directed. Uh, another term that's used a lot in the New Testament you see these terms used interchangeably in like Acts chapter 20 and 1 Peter 5 um, and 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. And these other terms, in addition to shepherd or pastor, would be elder. You all ever heard that term before? We use that kind of for our governing board. We call them elders. Um, and then we have another term that's used often, and it's overseer. It's a Greek word, episkopos. The Episcopal church is named after that. Um, so sometimes that term is translated bishop. Have you heard the word bishop before? That's just an English word for overseer. So these are all three just words for leaders, basically. So I want to say we get some insight into what the leader's job is from those words, right? He's he's to overlook and to lead and to care for and to guide. Um, And then here he adds teach and all those other passages I just mentioned. They're always talking about teaching the word. And so part of how the leader does his stuff is he's leading by teaching the word of God. And he's trying to help people to grow. But here he's saying, that's all for the purpose of of giving people the work of ministry, right? So I just want to challenge you and say, do you see that that you own the ministry, right? It's your job as a Christian to do the ministry. Here he uses the words uh, in verse 11, 
They are shepherds and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So the, the building up of the body, the growth, comes from leaders equipping saints to do the work of the ministry. Now another word we have to deal with is the word saint. Some of you have come from a background where the word saint always means like super Christian, su- superior Christians, and, and I think that's, you know, that's fine if people want to use the term that way, but biblically the, the term is always used really just to mean Christians in general. Um, the word saint, it comes from a cluster of words, holy, holiness, sanctified, saint, all come from the same Greek root. And so it's this idea of the holiness of God, which is kind of a weird religious word that means God is set apart, but it doesn't merely mean God is set apart. It doesn't just mean that God is different than us. It means that God is different than us in an absolutely beautiful, glorious way, right? And so in the gospel, we have this kind of push-pull tension of, We come to the good news of Jesus saying, there's something broken about me, right? I don't love people like I should. I'm not as glorious as I am supposed to be, but God is. And so Romans 3.23 is, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're saying, I'm not everything that I should be, but God's actually made me for a level of glory and holiness. And so the New Testament says that when we belong to Jesus we are now holy in some way, which, you know, we know each other pretty well. That's hard to believe sometimes, right? But there's this beautiful thing he's working in our life where he's showing us that we're forgiven and we're set free and that God sees us as beautiful in the gospel. And so now we are to start living out that beauty and that holiness. So the word saint, again, just to kind of sum it all back up, saint just means a follower of Christ. And by his grace... He's making us holy. He's making us his. He's setting us apart. And we need to be careful not to just think in kind of southern fundamentalist terms of what holiness means. I mean, I think it's good uh, to, to hold a code of morality, but often in the South or in the Bible Belt, we think that's the only definition of holy, right? You don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date girls that do. Have you all ever heard that phrase? It's like a goofy, goofy phrase. Like that just so over-reduces what holiness is. Holiness is God's incredible beauty and perfection, right? So far beyond our, our little cultural codes of morality. It's just some, something so much greater and more beautiful and more glorious than that. And that's what he's saying he's doing in our life. By setting us free through the, the grace and the love of Jesus, he's setting us free to show love and to then now begin showing that holiness and that glory in the world. And my job as a leader, so this is a scary job, my, my job as a leader is, is to equip you to do the stuff Jesus has called you to do. I grabbed a picture here of tools. I think this is a helpful way to think about equipping. Um, the question is, like when something breaks at your house, do you call the professional to come in and fix it, or do you get out your tools and fix it? You don't have to show your hands. Um, I, I generally get out my tools, try to fix it, break it worse, and then call the professional to come in. So that's generally what I do, right? Um, in the church... In the church, our, our job is to give you the tools. That's really our job, right? I don't want to moralize fixing your house because that's a whole another issue, right? But, but doing the ministry, serving our community, serving each other in love, we are to give you the tools to do that ministry. We are not to say, no, 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 uh, you can't love your neighbor. I'll love your neighbor for you because I'm the professional, right? Like I'm the leader of this organization. I love your neighbor. You don't love your neighbor. You can't serve the poor in your community. I'll serve the poor for you, Right? And things get all weird in our mind. No, the job of a leader is to fill you and equip you and encourage you in Christ so that you can go out and and serve people. That's the job. 
And so what are the tools? I think it's helpful to just kind of think about what are some basic tools. Um, I'm trying to pull this. I'm trying to kind of synthesize what we see in Ephesians to pull together what the tools are um, that a Christian leader, a pastor, or a teacher would, would equip you with. And I say that the main tool is the gospel itself. And again, I get that from the context of Ephesians because he spends three chapters hammering the gospel over and over and over and over and over again. I would summarize the gospel as God loves you. God loves you. Do you believe that? Last week we talked about the facts of grace and the feelings of grace. Uh, and some traditions hammer the facts like the cross. And we sang some great cross-centered songs. And the idea is that as we sing these cross-centered songs, we're like, okay, God loves me. I see that on the cross. There's clarity and there's an exchange. And I owed a debt that I couldn't pay, but he paid the debt for me through the cross. He died for me. Those are facts, right? And then there are feelings of grace, feelings of I am loved. Do you believe that? Do you know that God delights in you, that he cares for you, that he's adopted you into your family? Those feelings melt your heart so that you're no longer operating as an orphan that has to fight for everything you get, but you, get, you begin operating out of abundance. I'm, I'm taken care of, so I have the time, the energy, the power to love other people, right? And so that's the, the number one tool I want to give you. I don't want to go so far as to like assign, you know, an actual tool for that. I don't know. Imagine what tool that might be. Like, what's the tool you need to use every day all the time? That's the gospel. It's that tool. That's the tool that we want to give you. And everything we do centers around that. It's like if we stink at equipping you, we want to say, at least we equipped you with that, right? Like if you come, you move here for a couple of years, and we haven't trained you to do anything else, if we've given you that tool, you can figure the rest out, okay? The rest of it you can figure out. So I hope you see that that's the one tool that we like hammer again and again. We're like... Know this tool, use this tool, love this tool, because that's the most important equipping we can give you so that you can serve others, is understanding that God loves you. God loves you. Now, a related tool is a skill that we talk about of Bible study and prayer. A lot of times people talk about, talk about that as uh, basic Christian discipleship, you know, like growing in your ability to study the Bible and understand it for yourself and pray and talk to God. And those are related to the gospel, right? Because the Bible doesn't make sense as a document the sacred literature is only tied together with that meta story of a God who loves us and is there for us. So that helps us to make sense of the story of all the poetry and narrative and history we find collected together in the Bible. And then prayer. Prayer, prayer doesn't make sense unless God loves you. So we want to teach you to talk to God because he loves you and he cares about you and he wants you to lay your burdens upon him. And we want you to teach you to, to study this book and, and love it and understand it and read it. And even when you don't understand it, to read it anyway, right? Like, we just want to stud, uh, teach you to be about this book and, and to go deeper in it. So that's, those are more tools that we want to give you, right? So another thing that we think about, like, if you've been here for just two or three years and you leave, our prayer and our hope would be that you leave loving this book a little bit more. Not because you think that loving this book impresses God or impresses other people, but because you found hope here. You found the story of a God who loves you here. That's why we want you to know this book better. And that's a tool that we can give you that's going to help you to serve other people. Because then you can show other people that there's good stuff here, right? Don't miss these stories. They're, they're awesome. And prayer in the same way. It's just another tool we want to give you, help you to pray. We, we do this often by encouraging you to get in groups with other Christian friends. One of the basic building blocks of discipleship is just meet with one or two other friends and, and look at the Bible together and pray for each other. That's a basic practice. Start using these tools together. Learn how to pray for each other. Start praying on your own. One of the things that we do corporately 
is we sing songs to Jesus, right? Have you ever noticed that? When we gather, we sing. And that is a way of praying. That's a, that's a way of praying together. That's, that's united prayer. You're talking to Jesus about who he is and, and what he's done for you. That's part of what God calls us to do together as God's people. We're practicing that tool of prayer. And another thing that we do, it's a once-a-month thing that I really encourage you to try is one of our elders leads a time of uh, prayer and solitude. Uh, he'll guide you in learning how to spend time alone in prayer. Um, so that's our half-day in prayer is what we call that. It meets typically over at the Plaza del Sol. I think it's the second Saturday of every month. You can look for announcements about them in our bulletin. But that's just a way to exercise and get better at this tool. Another couple of tools I'd like us to think about that we want to equip you with are, are serving other people. Um, and it's, it's easy, I think, to divide that up in your mind. of like there's ways that I can love other Christians and encourage them in their faith. And there's ways that I can love those that don't know Jesus and encourage them that God loves them. And so are you growing in those opportunities? We give opportunities. Pretty much every ministry that we have organized together is built around those two things, that you would gather with other Christians to encourage them. You would reach out to other people that don't know Jesus to serve them in the community. Are you growing in those areas? And we can serve people through the word, right, through encouraging them that God loves you. And we can serve people through actions, right? Like, can I make a meal for you if you're sick? Or uh, can I just sit with you and shut up and not say anything? Be quiet, right? Cry with you, help you, serve you, physically come to the house and and do something for you. So there's ways that we can serve each other, again, through our actions um, and also through our words. And we want to just help you grow those opportunities. As I describe these things, you might be thinking, I've I've got that tool, but I don't have that tool. We want to help you. Again, we think this is actually our job. So the elders and pastors of our church, uh, we believe it's our job to do this, to help you grow in your use of these tools. So if you feel like you're just struggling in a particular area, or you're missing out, or you're like, I've never, I didn't know we even did this as a church. Can you, can you help me get connected to that? Or can you help me grow in my practice of this skill? We would love to do that. We would love to help you get connected and growing more and more in your walk with Jesus. The next thing I want to show us is that there's a measure of growth here. There's kind of a standard that's pointed out. What's, what's the measure of growth? Um, he talks about the, the full manhood, and he gives a negative uh, connotation of like, well, you don't want to be a child that's flopped around. And so we want to just clearly say we, we believe that the image of God is, is shown in, in male and female. So when he talks about manhood, he's not saying like, we want all you women to really become men or you know, something weird like that. He's, he's contrasting adulthood with childhood, right? Um, and there's a sense in which men are are typically stronger than women. I know some of you women could beat me up, but, but typically men are stronger than women, right? And so there's just kind of this connotation, man is representative of women, but it's not, it's not man versus woman. It's maturity and strong versus immaturity and weakness, okay? So the idea is, is growing up. Look at verses 13 through 14 with me here. Verse 13 and 14 says it this way. Um, until, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So mature manhood in Christianity means uh, the measure of the fullness of Christ, the full stature of Christ, it says here, the end of verse 13. Um, So it's not a, a physical kind of maturity, right? He's using physical maturity as an analogy, as an image, to talk about spiritual maturity, Um, So it's not like, how strong are you? It's not like when we talk about growing in the spiritual life, we're going to test how much you can lift or how fast you can run. 
We're just saying that maturity and strength is an image that now applied to spirituality and, and the measure of it is being full of Christ. Just having more Jesus in you, being full with him, loving him, adoring him. Then he goes on and gives the negative. So here's the negative, verse 14, look at this. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So he's saying there's a positive where you're growing, you're mature, uh, you can function. And then there's the negative where there's a weakness and being tossed around. Another thing I want to clarify too is as he's using physical health as a mark of spiritual maturity, we just want to be real clear that we, we honor those that are not physically healthy as made in the image of God, right? And so there's a line we have to walk where we say, when someone's sick or when there's something broken in their body, we can recognize, oh, there's something broken that, that may not be functioning fully, right? But that person still deserves all the dignity of any other person made in the image of God. This becomes clearer as we age, right? Um, I'm getting to the age where my body is just breaking more, right? Where there's, to use the phrase here, there's less unity in my body. I broke my ankle like six months ago. And so there's a sense in which my ankle was not unified with the rest of my body, right? I was just kind of dragging it along. It wasn't functioning with the rest of my body. And I would argue that I was still made in the image of God, right? That God didn't like love me less because I was broken. And we would say the same thing if you suffer with chronic disease or there's something in your body that's not functioning fully, you're still made in the image of God. God still delights in you. This is just an image that he's using to portray this idea of full functionality, that that God wants us to grow up spiritually into full functionality. And we can do that even if we're physically broken. Does that make sense? You can still be uh, spiritually mature even if you're physically broken. Uh, Another image that I grabbed is the image of a conductor. A conductor's job is to kind of pull everybody together in unity. So we move through this text. He's using the body imagery and saying that Christianity or God's people should grow together as the body and that Jesus is the head. And so Jesus directs us and kind of tells us where to go. Just like my head tells my body what to do, right? Like my brain directs the rest of my parts so that I can get work done. Uh, Again, to use the work of ministry, right? So I can serve people. So I can strengthen others. Well, there's a a way that my head directs my body so I can do that in the same way Jesus directs us. Um, He's like the conductor, if you will, of an orchestra. How many of you have ever heard a great orchestra or a great band play music? And you're like, that was beautiful. Anyone? So, Okay, this is a broadly applicable illustration. What about when someone's just terrible, right? Like you've got a sixth grader that's learning how to play their horn. And they just don't know how to play their horn yet, you know? And it's kind of just noise. Or it may even be good notes, but it's not coordinated with the rest of the band of the orchestra. And so it, it kind of just sounds like noise because it's not in unity with the rest. So there's this concept here of that we're trying to produce something, again, beautiful. We want to love our community. We want to work together tactically to serve others, to help others, and to glorify Jesus as we do that in a coordinated effort. And so unity is really important. We want to be on the same page. And that's contrasted with the kind of carried around by every wind of doctrine, right? Blown about, talks about the child being tossed to and fro. The other phrase he uses is we want to have knowledge of the Son of God. It says later that kind of a mature manhood, that fullness in Christ. But first he says knowledge of the Son, and I think that's contrasted with human cunning and deceitful schemes. Um, Human beings are, we're, we're brilliant, right? Like we can come up with all kinds of stuff. And so we need to resist that temptation of trying to solve our own problem when we want to hear what God has to say for us, that he's got this 
the central problem solved for us, the separation between God and man solved, so that now we can use our, use our brains, use our cunning and our scheming to serve him instead of trying to solve that problem of our separation from God. So we want to be, um, we want to be unified in our, our knowledge of Jesus as the ultimate answer. Jesus is the ultimate answer. And then we talk about the, just the contrast that I already mentioned between uh, manhood and childhood. Just strength versus weakness. And again, the, the image is, is not to say you need to physically be somewhere. The image is to say, are you using the gifts you've been given to serve the community around you? Are you using your strength to serve others? Because that would be then the measure of growth. One of the areas where we've really tried to get more work done uh, in the area of unity is when it talks throughout the book of Ephesians about being a multi-ethnic church. And I just want to clarify, if you've been here for a few, few years, you've heard us talk about this. If you've only been here a few weeks, you may not have heard us talk about it. Um, there's a gospel-centered unity of ethnicities, and then there's kind of a trendy kind of unity and uh, diversity focus. And I just want to say that, that we're differentiating those two things, and we would say it is a value of our church that we would be a multi-ethnic representation of God's love for the world. And we've actually seen a, a lot of blessing in this area that we, part of it's just clean, right? We're a multi-ethnic city. Um, and we're just 11 people here in this multi-ethnic city, and that means we're a multi-ethnic church. But we would say that's a huge emphasis in the book of Ephesians and the New Testament. Again and again, the book of Ephesians says, you know what, there's this kind of uh, dominant culture of the Jews that are telling those of you that are not Jews, those of you that are the other ethnicities, that you're second-class citizens. And Paul says, that's not true, because the solution for our separation from God is not our culture. The solution for our separation from God is the gospel. And so Paul takes that gospel principle and says, because the gospel is our solution, that means we will love people from different cultures. Because we will say, yeah, my culture didn't save me, Jesus saved me. So that enables me to have a kind of deference and a kind of sympathy and a kind of patience with other cultures that maybe rub me the wrong way, right? Like, some of you, are, you grew up in certain parts of the country, you don't like beef brisket, and that's just confusing to me, right? Like, that's just weird. How, how can that be true in your life? But I mean, there's just these funny, weird things we have, cultural habits. And because we know, you know what, really my ultimate problem is I'm selfish and I don't love people. And the ultimate solution to that is Jesus. So that can unite us. That gives us common ground. We can learn to love uh, other cultures. So we praise God for being multi-ethnic. The other thing, though, on that is we often hammer... Um, this one particular area of ethnicity where we say, you know what? We wish we did a better job of reaching African-Americans in our city. And we just have said that out loud multiple times. And part of the reason we say that is because when you look out over our church, we, we basically match the ethnic demographic of clean, except with African-Americans. And what we've done is we've just said, you know what? We need to recognize that our, our culture historically has been unjust and oppressive towards African-Americans. And we need to just kind of call out those things in our history that are wrong and be willing to admit those things and then pray and say, God, will you, will you give us opportunities to serve and love the African-American community in a, in a healthy gospel-centered way so that we could become more representative of our city? Because again, our, our vision is that based on the gospel, that the gospel is what unites us, that we would be a multi-ethnic church that looks a little bit like the city, right? That we would reach every ethnicity in the same way. And again, I know some of you are terrified because you're like, that's, that's political correctness, right? That's some kind of weird... I no, that's, that's the gospel. 
again, read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 and, and recognize that what makes us all the same is our sin, and what gives us all hope is Jesus. But those things unite us. And I, and I skipped over the other thing I mentioned before. What also makes us all the same is we're made in the image of God, no matter what kind of human you are. If you're handicapped or if you're not, if you're male or if you're female, if you're this ethnicity or that ethnicity, we're made in the image of God. God made us for that holiness and that beauty. And his love shows us how to live that out. Okay, so I'll move on from that. I would just say, by way of application, pray for us. Because it's great to talk about it and say, we desire to grow in this area, but it's a whole other thing to actually be successful at it, right? And so we just want to admit the leadership is committed to this, and the leadership doesn't know what we're doing, okay? So just pray for us that we would, we would grow in this area, that we would move in that direction based on the gospel, that we would look like our city because we're reaching every kind of person in our city. So the last point here is the process of growth. The actual mechanics, right? Uh, the day-to-day, in and out. What does it look like to grow? He uses the phrase uh, truth in love. Truth in love. Look at Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. And we'll wrap up in this last couple of verses. He says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the body is growing, the body is building itself up, and he starts in verse 15 by saying, we do this through speaking the truth in love. We speak the truth in love. My question for you is, uh, which are you better at? Are you better at speaking the truth? Are you the kind of person that prides yourself on being a straight talker, right? Or are you better at loving people? I have a kind of this, this weird uh, dichotomy in my life, right? Like where I spend a week or spend a day every week publicly speaking truth, right? Like I'm a broadcaster. I'm trying to tell a bunch of people the truth out of the scriptures. But in my daily life, I tend to be better at, at loving people, right? I tend to not say anything and just want to like pat people on the back and say, they're there. It'll be okay, right? Like I'm that kind of personality. Um, like, I love you. And can I knit you a sweater and make you a cup of tea? You know, I'm like that kind of like... May I encourage you and love you, but I'm not going to really say anything hard. That's my temperament. What is your temperament like? You might be that temperament too. Like you just like to be nice, but you don't like to say anything. Or you could be more of the, like, I just like to say stuff, right? Who cares about being nice? People need to hear the truth. And you just like to like lay it out for people. And I would just say, what is it? It's it's healthy to know kind of, okay, I'm wired more this way or I'm wired more that way. And to understand that the Bible always connects those two things. They go together, right? So when I'm just trying to be nice, but I don't speak up, I'm not really loving people well. I've got to speak the truth to really love people well. And the opposite is, is true as well. If you're just truthing, the actual Greek word here is like, it's not speak the truth, it's truthing, right? Truth people in love. If you're just truthing people, but there's not love behind that, if you don't really care for their best and want to see them grow out of it, That's disconnected. That's not really biblical. That's not like the model of Jesus, right? Jesus loved people in these unbelievable ways, and he he was willing to say hard things to people. But he didn't just like walk around, I'm the guy that says hard things, right? He he loved people. So we we need to pull those things together. As we pull those things together, then I think we're looking more like Jesus, and we're filled with the fullness of Christ. And we look more 
like him. We're doing his work. Remember, we're his body. He's the head. We're, we're his hands and feet. And again, we're, we're skilled at different things. Some of you might be like a pinky in the body of Christ. Some of you might be a kneecap in the body of Christ. You know, we have different kind of specialties. I think we should all be speaking the truth in love. So basic building block we would call you to if you want to grow in this area is we would say just get with another brother or sister and, and just start praying together and looking at the Bible together. Basic building block. Grow in that area. Speaking the truth with each other in love. Practicing those skills. Small groups are an opportunity to do that. We have specialized groups that focus on marriage and, uh, and recovery and, and all kinds of different things. But, but get with other human beings. Speaking the truth to each other. Loving each other. Encouraging each other. I grabbed a picture here of people studying the Bible together. That's often kind of the, the hub for us. I would say really truly the hub for us is Jesus. Uh, truly the hub is Jesus. And as we talk about this formal partnership program that we're doing at the church, I just want to clarify that um, as we try to have unity around the hub of Jesus, we want to say again and again that Jesus is our only hope. He is, he's the center of it all. And our prayer is that you would be far more committed to Jesus than you ever are to Grace Bible Church, okay? I just want to say that publicly and clarify that. We believe that it's helpful tactically to organize ourselves and say, this is our constitution, this is how we do things, this is how Jesus followers at Grace Bible Church do things, right? So we're kind of just tactically organizing ourselves and unifying around some basic principles. But, but we would say at the core, Jesus is the most important thing. And so the reason that we put Bible study at the center of so many of our ministries is because we think the Bible is the book about Jesus, right? It is the words of God that tell us who Jesus is and how Jesus can speak to us. And so we make that at the center. But another thing I would say that we want to guard ourselves from is this kind of Bible study apart from caring for each other, because that's also a very unhealthy thing. You can get in this kind of, the Bible is this text that I study and I show off how much I know about it. And, you know, I'm learning facts and things, but I'm not actually loving other people. So if you really know the Bible well, that means that you love outsiders and you care for broken people and you care for the people in your life. That's what it looks like to know facts in the Bible well. We've always got to, again, knit those things together, truth and love. So we put the Bible and we put studying of the Bible in the center of many of our gatherings, but the purpose is that that would spin us out into doing the Bible, loving, loving people, Right? So we call that the process of growth, speaking the truth in love. A couple of key passages that are helpful when we think of gathering with other people is James 5.16. James 5.16 says we confess our sins one to another and pray for each other that we may be healed, right? So at the center of this whole process is that kind of weakness and humility. I'm a struggler. Can you pray for me? And then Colossians 3 is another good text to think about the speaking the truth in love. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and admonish one another with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, right? Uh, so we're, we're just ga- kind of gathering around truth and encouraging each other in the truth and the poetry of the gospel and who God is. As we wrap up, uh, I'll call your attention to our bulletin, right? Where is it? I've got a bulletin here. In front of our bulletin, it says, grow deep and reach out. I started at the beginning with this image of, of growth being like a flower, right? Like if you're those flowers that, I don't know what kind they are, but they, they open up to the sun and you're just following the sun, that, that to us is an image of growth. That all of us as God's people would just be kind of enamored with who God is. And that being enamored with him, that awe with God's kindness to us, would then transform us into kind people ourselves. 
And the other real common image in Scripture is a tree that uh, is not focused on the sun, but it talks about a tree who's planting its roots down deep into the streams of living water that is the Word of God, that is the Gospel itself. Psalm 1 talks about that. Jeremiah 17 talks about that. And other passages uh, emphasize that. And our, our goal is that you as a tree would sink your roots down into the goodness of God and that as a result of that, you would, you would reach out. Um, if, you're, if you're struggling to find places to reach out or find ways to dig deeper into the goodness of God, talk to us about that. Again, that's, our goal as a leadership is, is to help you connect those dots, is to help you be deployed to serve others in your workplace or in the community. Let me pray for us and then we'll respond together in communion. God, we thank you for the love you've shown us in Jesus. We confess our, our need of you. God, we don't love each other like we should and we don't serve each other like we should. And so we pray for your grace that we would grow up, that we would be stronger, that we would be able to sink our roots into your goodness. And as a result, that we would grow up and and serve and bring our strength that you give us to the community around us. Help us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.